All right, well, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, Lord God, what a, a wonderful thing it is to know you. Um, as that song says, uh, there is no greater thing. Um, Lord, we, <clears throat> um, Lord, we uh, come before your word, Lord, the heart, the word that uh, that cuts to the heart, just as it did for Peter here, Lord. And I pray that um, we would be uh, open before you, um, and that you would teach us um, and change us and make us more like you would have us be. In Christ's name, Amen. <clears throat> Do you love me, says Jesus? Do you love me? I think that's such a, a great question um, as I prayed there. It, it cuts right to the heart, um, especially uh, we see there in, in verse 17, Peter was grieved um, at the question that Jesus um, that Jesus asked. Jesus was uh, uh, very good at asking hard questions, deep questions, uh, questions that... that um, cut, as I said, right to the heart of the matter. Um, the author of Hebrews says uh, in Hebrews 4, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's word exposes our hearts. Really helps us examine our hearts. <clears throat> Um, and I want to sort of use that question, I think, a little bit this morning to springboard off that. And we're going to think a bit about what your relationship with God is like. Um, you might see in your in your bulletins there the outline that that's that's my title for this morning. What is your relationship with God like? Uh, here in John twenty one, Peter, uh, sorry, Jesus was uh, asking Peter to examine himself, um, evaluate where he was with Jesus just after Peter denied him. Um, but I think it's it's a good thing to have these sorts of conversations with God regularly. Um, indeed, today's a communion Sunday. We're going to have communion a little bit later. Um, Paul said in in First uh, Corinthians 11, of course, examine yourself and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. God calls us to examine ourselves. But if I'm honest... I think that's a scary thought. To open myself up to God, open up my failings, my sin, my, my, my dark, the dark secrets of my heart, I don't want to expose myself. I don't want to feel ashamed before God. I don't think I'm alone in that either. You know, you, you think of Adam, uh, tried to hide from God, he sewed fig leaves together and hid in the bushes. Cain just, um, Cain just denied what he'd done when he killed Abel. Moses ran away. David uh, launched a tragically uh, all-out political cover-up after he sinned with Bathsheba. Hiding from God is just so much easier, isn't it, than exposing our failings to him. But what does that actually gain us? If we actually hide from God, does that actually help at all? Well, First John 1 says, if we ha- say we have no sin, what are we doing? Deceiving ourselves. If we try to hide from God, we're just lying to ourselves. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it's always better to be open with God. Um, and when we are open before him, we find his forgiveness. 
And so David prayed, as we read earlier from Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me. And as I said, I think that's a good thing that we should be praying regularly. It's good for us to sit down with God and examine ourselves regularly. Um, maybe even uh, at least once a week sort of thing, sit down with God and confess whatever sins you've committed over the, at that time. Uh, maybe even uh, at the start of, we're at the start of the year at the moment and, and we could probably, it's probably also worth uh, looking back over the last year, see how we're going, how we've grown, uh, what habits need working on. Um, now take that with a grain of salt, that's my opinion. <clears throat> Um, about how often you do it but I think certainly it's biblical that we should be examining ourselves regularly Um, but that doesn't help us if we're like I said earlier if I'm ashamed before God if I don't want to expose myself to God how can I how can I come before him and examine myself as I've just been saying Self-examination is really hard to do sometimes because we don't want to come to God and find out that he's angry with us or that he's disappointed or disgusted or horrified at us. We're so ashamed of what we've done sometimes that we can't bear for God to see us as we are. Um, Sometimes we're so intimidated by God that we can't stand to be near him. Remember Isaiah in the throne room saying, Woe is me, I am unclean. And so we want to talk, that's what I want to talk about this morning. Because I've asked the question, what is your relationship with God like? And, and often we think about that in terms of what we've done recently and um, <clears throat> about whether we've sinned or we're, whether we're doing well at the moment. But I think what we need to do is think about that question in terms of the gospel the gospel saves us but it doesn't just affect our relationship with god then it shapes our relationship with god all the time Um, and that's what we want to that's what we're going to think about um, and we're going to study psalm 139 a bit more deeply um, just to see the gospel we're going to see four gospel truths um, about our relationship with god four truths about god that shape our relationship with god um, and we'll find, <clears throat> hopefully, that we don't need it to fear God, in fact, um, even if we are revealing our deepest, darkest, horrible secrets with him. So the psalm begins, O Lord, you have searched me, and you know. That's, that's literally how this psalm starts. He sort of left the sentence open-ended to make it really jarring it's 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 hard to it's it's sort of a weird um sentence structure you have searched me and you know like we're left thinking what what is um in the in the hebrew you're sort of left thinking what is it actually that god knows like what's going on here um and so our english bibles fill in what what he's implying there you have searched me and you know me Uh, but he's sort of saying he knows everything you know the implication is everything about me says David. Now think about that for a minute. God knew everything that there was to know about David. That's sort of a weird, uh, a mind-bogglingly large statement to to wrap your head around. Um, And so David actually was very helpful and he made a list for us. 
from verse 2. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. Every action, even as mundane as sitting and standing, God knows. Every movement, whether he's walking or standing still, God knows. Every thought, even from up on his throne in heaven, God can see everything that's going on in David's mind. And it's every word, even before he said anything, God knows it. Sometimes I wonder how many times David opened his mouth without really thinking about what he said, without knowing what was going to come out. He was a bloke after all. Um, but God still knew every word that formed in David's mouth. <clears throat> God knew every thought behind what David said and did. Every action, every movement, everything there was to know about David, God knew. And we see from verse 5 that the, the way that God knew this, um, he's, David says, you hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. And that's talking about God surrounding David. He's pressing in in front and behind. He's laid his hand over, he's surrounded him. David can't escape from God's presence. Um, and David's, uh, as I said, this is a, a mind-bogglingly great statement. So uh, David says, this knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I can't comprehend it i can't attain it god all around him saw everything he did knew everything about him what a staggering thought that is i mean as i said there's nowhere to escape verse 7 says where shall i go from your spirit where can i flee from your presence if i go up to heaven you are there if I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I, take my, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall guide me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. David could find no way to escape God. He looked up. And said in, in this beautiful poetic hyperbole, like, how far up can I go? How far into heaven can I go? It doesn't matter. God's still going to be there. He looked down into the grave and, and beyond the grave, um, down into Sheol, the, the place of the, de the, the dead. Um, he says, how far down can I go? Again, it doesn't matter. God's always going to be there. He looked out to see... Even if the sun came up, picked me up on one side of the earth and just carried me over to the other side of the earth. What, a, what an amazing picture that is. If I take the wings of the dawn, he says, the sun gave me a lift across the ocean. As far as it goes, I still can't get away from God. There is just no escaping God's presence. But maybe if he can't escape from God, maybe he can hide instead. David's spent many years of his life on the run, um, running from King Saul, and so he kind of knew how to hide. <clears throat> um, he, he says, pitch blackness, that's the key. I, he's twice, twice in my life, I was hiding in a cave and Paul ju uh, Saul just walked right past me. <clears throat> but God is just not as easy to hide from as Saul was. 
Darkness is no match for the creator of light. Hiding in darkness won't achieve anything because the night's just going to turn to day, the darkness to light in the presence of God. God knows everything, he's there for everything, and there's no escaping or hiding from his presence. And of course it's just as true for you and me as it, as it was for David. You might, you might have heard people say in the, the lead up to Christmas, God is just like Santa Claus. <clears throat> he sees you when you're sleeping, he knows when you're awake, he knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. Are we talking about God or Santa there? They're both all knowing, they both reward bad behavior, uh, sorry, good behavior and punish bad behavior, and they're both children's stories. Have you heard people say that? Well, I could say plenty about why God and Santa are different. But instead of, like, Proverbs talks about answering a fool according to his folly. And so I don't want to answer that just on that level. I want to go on to a deeper level. So please flip back in your Bibles um, a few Psalms to Psalm 73. Um, This question of whether God really exists and whether he knows about sin and actually deals with it is is not a new question, actually. It's been around at least two and a half thousand years, uh, which is when Psalm 73 was written. Uh, It was written by a bloke called Asaph, probably lived around the Babylonian captivity. Um, And this is what he said about the people around him. Uh, Psalm 73, verse 8. They scoff and speak with malice, Loftily they threaten oppression, they set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore his people turn back to them and find no fault in them, and they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Asaph says, behold, these are the wicked, always at ease they increase in riches. You see what they're saying there? God doesn't know or care what we do on this earth. The wicked aren't being punished. They're the ones getting blessed with power and money and happiness. God's just a children's story like Santa. But Asaph went on to look at the issue from God's perspective instead. Uh, Verse 27, he says, Looking from the big picture, those who are far from you shall perish. God, you put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But as for me... It is good to be near God. Uh, some of you might have grown up with Christian parents like me, um, and you, you might have been told as a kid that God is always watching, even when uh, your parents weren't. Like, he knows if you misbehave, even if they don't. Um, and, and I know when I was a kid, that was a good incentive to, to obey. But maybe you reach the point in your life where uh, you, you've kind of outgrown that. Like, that's... You you don't need a Christian boogeyman anymore. But the fact is, God knowing everything about us should terrify us much more now than when we were kids. You probably have uh, sin secrets that you don't want other people to know about. Maybe there's a, a short list of people you don't want to keep any secrets from, but I reckon there's probably stuff you'd really like to keep under wraps as much as you can. Perhaps that's something you've gotten up to in the past or or a guilty pleasure that you're currently engaged in, indulging in. But God has searched you and he knows. 
God has searched you and he knows. He knows everything there is to know about you just like he did David. He knows everywhere you've been and everything you've done there. He knows everything you've said and everything you've thought. There is nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. Hebrews 4 again, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart, and no creature is hidden from his sight. All are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. God knows your deepest, darkest secrets, everything about you. He knows you more than you'd like. But secondly, God also hates you more than you'd hope. Uh, this is our second truth this morning about how God relates to you. Um, and this, quite, this truth is not so explicitly stated in this psalm, but it is quite strongly implied. Uh, verses 19 to 22, David says, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Excuse me. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and do I not loathe, loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. And now you say to me, these, these verses are a bit confronting. What's actually going on here? How does it tell us anything about God? How does it relate to Jesus' commandment of love? And, and, and what, what should we just do? What, what should we do with these verses? Well, these verses are how David expected God um, to react to wicked people. They're all about David looking out at the world and and seeing evil people getting away with stuff and and praying in a way that's in line with God's character. And, And you need to understand, this is not based on an incorrect understanding of God. David is not wrong to pray this. And in fact, you might even say it's entirely appropriate to hear these words on the lips of Jesus. I hate them with complete hatred or, or perfect hatred. That's the, man, that's the words of the man who, who was perfect, perfectly agreeing with God about the problem of evil. And, and you might say to me, well, Nathan, I thought God was love. I thought God is, 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 is good and hatred is bad, right? Well, see, because God is good, he has to hate evil. Because God is love, he has to hate all that is unloving. All that is unloving towards him and towards the people he has made. And, and so God's made a series of rules um, that govern life on this earth. They're, they're not arbitrary, they're more about living rightly, appropriately, in a considerate way that's, that in, in this world that you share with other people, that's ruled by creator God. He has rules like don't make idols, respect God's name, honour your parents, don't murder, don't hurt other people by misusing sex, be honest, don't steal. Uh, And the fact is, we all fail with these things. We all want the universe to exist for our own benefit. And because of that, we act in a way that's wrong. We act in a way that's inconsiderate to the people around us, um, and most of all, inconsiderate to the God who rules us. And so God rightly calls that wickedness. But of course, not only that, but but as I've said before, God knows your thoughts. God knows what's going on in your mind. So if you even think about disrespecting God, 
If you even think about dishonoring your parents, if you even wish that someone was dead or wish that they were your sexual partner or wish that what they owned was yours, God knows. God sees those thoughts and he will hold them against you. And and in because of all that, you are wicked to the core. God hates wicked people. He hates you more than you'd hope. Uh, in the King James Version, verse 19 says, Surely you will slay the wicked. Surely God will slay the wicked. He will bring justice. He might not do it today. Maybe. But don't think he won't do it soon. He has more than enough reason. He has more than enough power. There is no hiding from him. There is no escape. You can't pretend you're better than you are. God is a fearful, fearful enemy. And you have made him your enemy through your thoughts and actions. But the wonderful thing about the gospel is that we are so much worse off than we think. And yet we're so much more loved than we think in God's eyes. Have a look there in verse eight, uh, verse 17 and 18. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. Maybe you could rephrase that. How precious are your thoughts concerning me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Did you wake up this morning? Maybe you've fallen asleep since I've started talking, but if you woke up this morning, then I can tell you something that is true about you. God forgives you more than you realize. Every morning that you wake up is another morning that God has chosen not to take out his anger on you. Or to put it positively, every every morning that you wake up is a morning that God has chosen to be patient with you. Even though God knows us more than we'd like, even though he hates us, uh, he hates what he sees more than we would hope, he, we wake up each morning and we are still with God. In other words, he forgives, he tolerates, he's patient with you more than you'd realize. I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 3. <clears throat> Uh, Because Romans chapter 3 verse 25 tells us about God's divine forbearance where he passed over former sins. That's what, that's, that's the patience I've been talking about here. Um, He's willing to let sinners be for a time. And let's read Romans chapter 3 verses 23 to 25 and we'll see how all that works. Romans chapter 3 verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation for his blood, by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. Uh, now, that passage has some big words in it and they're not often words that we use in in English aside from here at church. Um, Some of you, many of you will have heard of Colin Buchanan um, and he has a wonderful song um, called Big Words That End in Shun um, which explains some some of these big words that we come across in the Bible that we don't really use very much. Uh, And this passage has a few of those big words that end in shun. Verse 25 says propitiation. 
And that means, as, as Colin says, God's anger turned away. Verse 24 says we're justified. Justification uh, it means we become just like we'd never sinned, says Colin. Also in verse 24 we see about uh, redemption, uh, which means sinners bought by God. Um, and the chorus of that song says, um, to sum it up, these big words that end in shun show us what the Lord has done through Jesus, his own son. When Jesus, the perfect son of God, died in our place, uh, sorry, died, he did so in our place. He died instead of us. God's anger was taken out on him so that we can experience God, God's patience and forgiveness instead of his anger. That's what propitiation means. Our sin was placed on him uh, so that we can stand before God as if we'd never sinned, as if we're perfect instead of the self-centered sinners that we naturally are. That's what justification means. Our bail, our debt, all that kept us from God was paid for by Jesus so that we can be with God forever. That's redemption. We awake and we are still with God all because Jesus died for us. If God knows you better than you know yourself, if he knows the dark recesses of your mind, if he knows exactly how sin taints all that you do better than you do, and yet he forgives all of that, then well may we say that God forgives us more than we realise. But before... I go on. I need to explain something very carefully. There's a big difference between God being patient and God forgiving you. God being patient with you is, is, is him waiting for you to turn back to him. But God forgiving you is the great and joyful reconciliation that happens when you do turn back to him. And, and maybe some of you are here today and you are relying only on God's patience. You're comfortable keeping on as you are because God has not has chosen not to hold you to account over your sin just yet. But you need to understand that until you turn to God and ask him to forgive you because of Jesus' sacrifice, you will not be forgiven. And until you, until you turn to him and are forgiven, you are under you are potentially going to be under his wrath. He might, re- he might bring down all of his hatred on you today or tomorrow or soon. <clears throat> um, but I, so I want to take you to take this opportunity to call you to acknowledge your wickedness to God. Ask him for his forgiveness, so that you don't need to fear his anger and judgment against sin. Confess to him your sin, all that you you do know about, and he will forgive your sin, all that he knows about. Because God forgives you more than you realize. But one more truth that Psalm 139 tells us about our relationship with God. Uh, God knows us more than we would like. He hates us more than we would hope. He forgives us more than we realize. But not only does God just tolerate your sins... No, he actually cares for you. He actively, thoughtfully, proactively cares for you. I mean, and David illustrated this truth by actually casting his mind back to something that 
um, I'm guessing he probably doesn't remember, um, that we don't really normally talk about much. Um, he Look there in verses 13 to 16. Uh, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. See, David looks back on this time when he was being made, uh, and he realized that God cared for him even then. God cared for him. God carefully constructed him in utero. Isn't that amazing that God has cared for you since before you were born? There are some pretty amazing natural processes that go on inside an unborn child. I am am blessed to be a medical scientist by my profession and, and... I've, like part of my degree, I learned about these wonderful, incredible nanoscopic cellular mechanisms that go together, that work to make a whole new human being work. And God was the one that made those natural processes. He created them to be self-propagating, um, and, and, and that in itself shows how amazing God is. But even aside from that, even just setting aside that, there's a reason that so many people talk about the miracle of childbirth. There's so many aspects of it that are just that, or that, that we seem um, are just down to natural occurrences. Everything being just so at exactly the right time. But, but as I said, they seem to us to be completely random because we have no control over them, but God does control them. It's entirely in God's control. And he controls all that randomness to construct a child just as he designed. And then God goes ahead and he has that little cell, that new human, and he protects that human from harm for nine whole months. So many sicknesses are around that can easily attack an unborn baby much more easily than than they can attack a a fully grown human. Um, And there's only so much that a mother can do about them. And and even some of these sicknesses are from just a woman's body just doing normal, healthy, adult body things. But God protects this child from all of it. I can honestly tell you, um, with all my medical training, all, all my understanding of how a baby grows, I cannot possibly fathom how I would be standing here today if God had not knit me together in my mother's womb and protected me while I was being made in secret. Indeed, you can be sure that God's care continues long after we are born. <clears throat> God has not changed and we have not done anything that God has not seen coming. With all these fires going on, that, that kind of sounds like a, a callous thing to say in some ways, that, that God is looking after us even when people are, are losing homes, losing livelihoods, losing everything, uh, even losing their lives. Um, I want to read, um, I was reading this week a bit um, from Lamentations, actually. Um, Lamentations chapter 3 says, says this, um, <clears throat> 
I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones, besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. On and on this uh, this poet goes, probably uh, Jeremiah, I think it is, um, that he just goes on and on about how God has uh, brought this devastation into his life. Um, and, and God had indeed done that to the people of Israel uh, because this was written just after they were carried off into captivity. Um, he says, verse 19, Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Says Jeremiah, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he should bear the yoke in his youth. Sometimes God uh, brings us devastation, um, but but the Lord will not cast off forever, says Lamentations. Uh, Even though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love, for he does not afflict from the heart or grieve the children of men. For for those who love God, for those who are chosen by him, the Bible says God promises that he will work everything in life together for eternal good. And and as I said, you might say, uh, even these people are dying. Like, how how can there be good in in death? Um, And death is a horrible, horrible thing indeed. Um, But for those uh, who love God... Um, he says, even after death, in the, in the words of Psalm 139, God will fearfully and wonderfully remake us. When this body is, is cruelly and terribly unmade by sin, God will fearfully and wonderfully remake us. With perfect, eternal, undying bodies when he returns. Because he cares for us more than we can imagine. So those are the the four unchanging gospel truths about your relationship with God. He knows you more than he'd like than you'd like, sorry. He hates you more than you'd hope, but he forgives you more than you realize and cares for you more than you imagine. And now with all that in mind, let's turn our attention to the last couple of verses of this psalm. Uh, Search me, O God, says David, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I started this sermon by talking about uh, how we can take stock of our relationships with God. Uh, And here, as I said, in these final verses, David does just that. David prays that God would examine him deeply that he could spend time with God just evaluating their relationship together. But 